Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M. and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today is Monday. It's May 15th, 2017. And today we're reading on, in Chapter 3, more about alcoholism, on page 40. And we're going to be reading and commenting on the first two paragraphs, beginning with, We Heard No More of Fred for a While. Today's readers are for the 12 Steps, Anne-Marie M., the 12 Traditions, Tenzin P. The readers for the text will be Lisa B., Lisa H., and Craig F. Now, the share IDs for yesterday, Sunday, our special edition, May the 14th, 2017, is 9937. That's 9937. The presentation was entitled A New Freedom, given by our own recovered compulsive overeater, Mara Z. Okay, our, sole per, our preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's, our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne-Marie M. to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, Janice. Thank you for your service. This is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our life had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you. I pass. And thank you, Anne-Marie M. I will now ask Tenzin P. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, all. This is Tenzin P., a recurring compulsive overeater, calling from New York. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA name ought never, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain <clears throat> personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you very much, Akash. And thank you, Tenzin P. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the Big Book mean to us. Now to share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we're going to resume our study in the big book, okay, on page 40, paragraph 1. And I'm going to ask Lisa B. to begin reading, please. Good morning. This is Lisa B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day, we were told he was back in the hospital. 
This time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive, for here was a chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns, yet was flat on his back nevertheless. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows, that I had been usually successful in licking my other personal problems, and that I would therefore be successful where you men failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident that it would only be a ma- that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. Oh my goodness. What a powerful reading. Fred did not get the entire solution when they first met with him. He would not believe himself an alcoholic or the spiritual remedy. And, you know, I heard someone share that this chapter more about alcoholism. Another way of saying it is more about what happens when I don't accept the solution. Well, I knew I needed to recreate my life, but I really believed that I would be able to do it on my own power. I believed that the power of God was in me and around me and had been with me all along, but I still believed that I could do it on my own. I did not think I was as bad as you guys, you know. Um, I was very powerless over my thinking, and I did not have any kind of emotional rearrangement or psychic change at all. I knew that I was probably having a problem with food, but I still was not as bad as you guys. I knew that food, you know, was a problem for me. Um, I didn't know that I truly relied on food as the solution. So when I read this, you know, now he's flat on his back, and he's very anxious to meet with them. It sounds like he may have had a little bit more of a step one experience. And my step one experience, conceding to the depths of my being, that I am powerless over food, came as a result of talking to my recovered sponsor and hearing her share about her experience in food and what this book did for her. And then I began to see more and more, you know, the the walls of denial. I had so much thick layers of denial because I didn't look that bad. And I just was convinced I wasn't as bad. And then um, the other thing that stands out for me in this reading is the number of eyes. There's so many words, I, I, I was impressed. There's such arrogance, such a level of uh, entitlement, you know, like I learned, I reasoned. he relied on himself, you know, and and uh, that's what really stands out for me. Um, so with that, I pass. And thank you so much, Lisa. Okay, we're going to open up. And who would like to comment on these two paragraphs? This is Larry. Kathy. Larry, Larry K. Kathy K. Reba P. Yes. Everybody. Reba P. And whom else? Jan S. Jan S. and one more. Chrissy G. Chrissy G. What a great group. Chrissy G. Okay, we're going to start, begin with Larry K. Good morning to you, Larry. Good morning, Janet. Good morning, Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. 
Um, you know, when I read this, what comes to mind for me is so you have here Fred describing, you know, going back over in his mind what happened, and he says he was much impressed with what um, with what these these gentlemen had to share with him about alcoholism, and uh, but but he still thought that perhaps he, maybe he wasn't quite as bad, and you know, I what brings what comes to mind for me is is a question. In, in relation to this paragraph, can the question for me, the rhetorical question is, can I remain selfish and recover from this disease? So in other words, for those who are recovered as the result of these steps, you know, if you were to ask yourself, you know, may, maybe you had some struggles before. I know I certainly did for five years um, in program. I know today that I cannot remain selfish. And the word selfish brings up for me different things. And I'm not suggesting what Fred was or wasn't. I'm just saying that selfish for me means something different in the context of this program than it did before. If if someone referred to me as selfish, I would feel that was a real that was an affront to my integrity as a person. I, I wouldn't like that very much. No, the way I see selfish is someone, if you just even look at the word, someone concerned with self most of the time. doesn't mean that you're necessarily a bad person. Probably not. I think there's a lot of good people on the line. I wasn't a bad person. I could have given you evidence to suggest I was you know, a decent enough person in some ways. But I was concerned with myself most of the time. And so in that context, by that definition, I don't believe that one can remain selfish, concerned with self most of the time, and recover from this disease. I don't believe that based on my experience, also based on what I read in these in these pages. And I believe, you know, that Fred here, even in the midst, this was a good guy. This was a professional guy. This guy, you know, uh, had a good personality, so on and so forth. I imagine he was fairly intelligent. But he remained selfish. You know, perhaps he remained selfish, focused in on himself most of the time, and thus he wasn't willing to do the work that required that was required to change so that God can change us to move us from that self-centered existence to an other-centered or God-centered existence. I think that's what comes up for me with this particular paragraph. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Larry Kay. Good morning to you, Kathy Kay. Thank you, Janice, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Kathy, a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. And boy, do I identify with Fred, um, especially I identify uh, with the self-confidence that he had and figured that he could muster his willpower. Um, You know, especially after I started reading the big book, uh, before I actually studied the big book, um, I thought, well... Uh, I understand the disease, and because I'm a uh, an intelligent, smart woman, um, what I need to do is follow a food plan, and um, I will be okay. I also made the assumption that my disease was not as bad as some others in the rooms because I didn't have a lot of weight to lose. And it was um, a continuous period of breaking my abstinence and not feeling in any way 
recovered that um, beat me into a state of reasonableness, as we say. Um, I think my training as a self-sufficient person, which is what my parents uh, wanted me to be, um, really uh, handicapped me when it came to addressing my disease of compulsive overeating because I assumed that because I had so much willpower in other areas of my life, I could apply that same discipline to my food problem. What I didn't realize was the uh, the spiritual malady that is as important, if not more important, than the ingestion of my allergic foods. And this I could not solve with my self-sufficiency because my thinking was so distorted and, as Larry said, so very selfish. So, you know, it gives me hope uh, to see this and to also have experienced what happens when I let go of my assumption of being self-sufficient and really surrender to a power greater than myself. That's that's really when I began to see results and began to feel uh, an internal change, which has led to consistent recovery over time. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kathy Kay. Okay, Reva P., good morning to you. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. Uh, Two major things struck me this morning. Uh, First of all, uh, what strikes me is that a high-bottom drunk gets drunk just as much as a low-bottom drunk. So it doesn't matter how much weight I've gained or lost. It doesn't matter um, how many times a day I've binged or purged compared to other people. Once a compulsive overeater, I'm a real compulsive overeater, um, and 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 that's just what I do. Um, and here, because he was quite successful, and he still got drunk. The other thing that struck me is, um, you know, with all the eyes, even in program, um, you know, as soon as I get into thinking, like I'm going to think this through, I'm going to weigh the pros and cons. I know a lot about nutrition. Let me decide what I think is the right thing uh, for my food plan or not the right thing for my food plan. As soon as I get into the the willpower and keeping on guard or the analysis or the um, rationales and intellect, I'm in trouble. Um, And the only way I can ease the eyes out um, and the self centered, you know, thinking I need to be able to know, I need to be able to figure things out. The only way that that gets um, dissolved, disappears, is through the steps. So right now we're having some work done to our house and there's lots of decisions. And if I think that anything, no matter how small or how seemingly insignificant, is something that I can decide on my own to ease God out, then I'm in trouble because everything, it's always about, like this guy didn't have a drinking problem. He had a thinking problem. Um, so if it's my thinking that's the problem, um, I need to transform and change the thinking. Um, and as soon as I go in alone, 
I'm thinking I've got this, I've got it figured out, I understand the big book, I can do this, then I'm in trouble. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Reva P. Jan S., it's your turn. Jan S.? Good morning, this is Jan S. from St. Augustine, Florida. Thank you for allowing me to have some time to share today. I love Fred. I love Fred. He's just he's just amazing because in my in my um, addiction, one of my uh, hugest hugest character defects was arrogance, and my arrogance told me in program for I can't even imagine over thirty years that um, you know life's rough sometimes or. Um, sometimes it didn't, I just automatically did it. You know, I automatically just picked up thinking tomorrow I'll get it back. Tomorrow I'll get my abstinence back. I did that on and off for 30 years in the rooms. Didn't gain weight, but insanity. And my sponsor would say to me, you know, Jan, you don't really, what, what if you can't get it back tomorrow? You know, and finally I had to come to the, the understanding in my gut, in my heart and in my gut that I am a chronic compulsive overeater and it's never going to change. And no matter what happens in my life, the food is not going to make it better. The problem is in my thinking. The problem for me is to believe the, the, the lies that my disease tells me again and that tomorrow's going to be a better day. I'm going to pick it back up again, and everything's going to be fine. The minute I open the door to that disease, it never stops nagging at me and hanging me out to dry. So I really can't afford to have those thoughts. And the only thing that's going to help me with that is, ha- is to continue to work these steps and, and continue with my spiritual recovery because I, I can't afford to rest on my laurels. I can't afford to take one day off because that disease just continues to wait for me. So one day at a time, you know, I, I feel blessed that the obsession's been removed for five years, coming up on five years. God has graced me with that. And I thank everybody on the line. And, and you know, I can't drink on the truth. The truth is, I can't eat on the truth, too. The truth is, I'm not going to be able to stop. That's the truth. But I have to drink on the lies that my disease tells me. I have to eat on the the lies that my disease tells me. It's okay. You'll get it back tomorrow. I can't do that to myself because that's that's just poison. It's poison. So I I really, really appreciate uh, everybody being here. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Janice. Okay, Chrissy G., it's your turn. Chrissy G. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. Hi, it's Chrissy G. Recovered Compulsible Reader and Anorexic from New Jersey. And the the two words that I keyed in on were subtle insanity. And it that is exactly the, the best description that I've ever heard of this disease is the subtle insanity. And I I hear a lot in other rooms that it's cunning, powerful, and baffling this disease. And it is, it is, there's no rationale for the thinking. It makes no sense. And 
and it's true that we could think rationally in all other areas except for this. And it's all of it's for me, this is all about the first and the second step. It's like, am I powerless over this disease? Which means that like the previous share, I can't get up in the morning in the and, morning and, and pull myself up my, by my bootstraps and say, This day is gonna be different. I can't do that. But I can admit that I'm powerless and in step two turn my um know that God is the one who could restore me to sanity. As they say, I can't, he can, and step three is I'm gonna let him. I love that. These simple these simple ways cut through all my all my insanity. You know, it's not about self knowledge, but it is about hearing the repetition, the repetition, the repetition of this program because I have to remember that I'm powerless. That's where that's where the sanity comes in, to know that I can't control the disease, but there's an answer and there's steps to take to be able to get better. And I, I've gotten very good. It's, it's why 12 step is, the 12 step is so important to hear other people's subtle insanity that precedes their first bite. And you can see it, you can hear it. And it's, it's scary. I get a, a knot in my stomach when I hear someone saying, oh, maybe it was the grain. I'm, I'm not gonna have the grain anymore. You know, no, maybe it's the disease is too powerful for you and you need to take direction from someone else. So every time I have a really, really good idea, I know that I need to check it out with someone else, especially around food. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Chrissy G. Okay, before we go on, um, I hear some rattling in the in the in the background. So if we could all check our phone and just press star one to mute your phone. If you're not going to be our first reader coming up, who else would like to share on page 40, the first two paragraphs? Elizabeth M. Elizabeth Elizabeth M. Oh, I heard somebody after Elizabeth M. I think it was Nancy. Was it Nancy R.? Yes. Did you hear Melissa? Uh, Did you hear Melissa C? No, but I hear it now. Melissa C. I heard Vasa O. And one more. Lynette. Sarah G. Sarah G. Okay, let's go with that. We still have some time for some more. So let's try, let's go on. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, it's your turn. Elizabeth M. Hi, Janice. Thank you. This is Elizabeth M. from New Hampshire. And Janice, so good to hear you. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, Fred is wonderful, and I completely identify with Fred. I just want to say for a minute that um, I think, you know, I heard Reva say that a high-bottom drunk gets as drunk as a low-bottom drunk, which is really true. It's very true for me with my food. I think what the problem for me with Fred, which was my problem, is, you know, he doesn't have enough unmanageability in his life, and I didn't either. My life looked pretty good. So unmanageability I could see it with Jim you know he lost his company he was resentful and here's Fred Fred was like he was a CPA he was so competent he was so good they sent him to DC to close a deal whatever he was doing of course he was so embarrassed because he had a good life and when we don't have screaming unmanageability it's much more subtle but what I've learned is that the unmanageability that I have works on me in the same way it works on others, no matter what my life might look like, and that it triggers a mental obsession because I can't stand the discomfort and the unmanageability. And then that mental obsession, of course, 
with all my self-knowledge, like Fred, with all the things I know, with the idea that, you know, here's Fred, he's going to stay on guard and use his willpower. Well, I thought I could do the same. And I can stay on guard for maybe, you know, I can be absent at going to meetings, working the tools for maybe 30 days, maybe. That's pushing it. But there's always that unmanageability, which creates those really uncomfortable feelings. And I do not, as Harlan has taught us, we do not do feelings well. And so then I have to, because my mental obsession is triggered, it will drive me back into the food. And so once I'm in the food, the allergy is triggered. So here's Fred, and I just love his story because it's my story. So I'll pass with that. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth M. Okay, let's see. We have Nancy R. next. Good morning, Nancy. Hi, good morning, and uh, thank you for your service. And thank you to everybody who uh, comes on this meeting every day and shares uh, their perspective of this reading. This this is just a, a godsend in my life. I wanted to comment on um, Fred uh, from a perspective of of sponsoring people and seeing people come in and out of the rooms. And I and I used to feel really bad. I used to feel that I was a failure, that uh, I hadn't carried the message properly. Perhaps I didn't. But um, this, this really drives home that a person's recovery is their own responsibility. And just because a person um, disappears and I don't see them again, it doesn't mean that they don't recover or um, the message wasn't uh, <clears throat> given properly. The seed was planted in, planted in Fred, and he had to be convinced. He had to be convinced that he was powerless. Uh, the earlier paragraph said he was convinced that he had to stop drinking. And after he got the information, he thought his intellect and his willpower would be sufficient, but he had to be totally convinced that he was powerless. And so when I uh, work with people and they drop out and disappear, uh, perhaps they need some more convincing, you know, and that's between them and their higher power. My job is just to carry the message and to be, more importantly, more importantly to be the message so I can carry the message. And this uh, reading really drives that home to me. Some people have to go out and do a little more drinking. You know, they have to go out and get hit by a few more cars like the jaywalker. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy R. Okay, Melissa C., it's your turn. Hi, good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, a couple of things jumped out at me. One um, is, you know, he talks about, Fred here mentions that um, it was just a matter of exercising willpower and keeping on guard. And um, I just, I think about that visual of keeping on guard and, um, and, and that's almost believing that the enemy is outside of us. Like, I'm going to keep on guard. I'm going to lock the doors um, against this enemy that exists outside of myself. And in my case, it was the food. You know, it was, um, or it was places. You know, I'm going to lock the door and keep those things out. And, you know, the problem is, um, is that I'm the enemy. And so when I lock the door and I keep on guard, I've just locked myself inside 
you know, with the greatest danger of all, my thinking, my head. And, you know, and so um, he goes in, you know, in the beginning when he's, when he's informed um, and he gets some information, he realizes that um, he must um, stop drinking. He's got to stay clear of the alcohol. And I've been there. You know, I must stop eating. I was convinced that was easy to be convinced that I had to stop eating. Um, you know, because for me, I had weight to prove that I needed to stop eating. And I had um, painful, you know, stomach aches that told me I had to stop eating. But what, what the disease hadn't yet um, convinced me and hadn't yet convinced him was that he couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't stop eating. And, you know, we don't find that out, or I didn't find that out from other people coming and talking to me. That was an important, you know, like precursor. That's sort of like the prerequisite. But that is like your own self-diagnosis. You don't find out. I didn't find out that I couldn't stop eating until I tried to stop eating and couldn't. Um, you know, all the dialogue about it tells me nothing. And so um, this program of recovery is, it's not an independent at-home study. You know, you can't do this on your own, but there are pieces of the suffering that do have to happen on your own. Um, until that, that's what gets you really ready um, for the, you know, for knowing that it's your head that needed changing. My head needed to be changed. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Melissa C. Okay, good morning to you, Vasa O. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Janice, for your service, and I'm grateful to recover the possible reader calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And um, I like this, I like rap stories, and I always try to identify uh, with it on myself. I had my own pain and suffering and struggles with the food over the years. And I never believed that someday I would be able to put it down, put it down or find a solution. Um, you know, I mean, I've shared before, I really gave in into the food addiction because whatever I was doing, it just did not work up to that point. And I thank God that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous. And... Um, I had to put all things aside, what I was doing, because it didn't work. This was my last stop uh, coming to this program. I was uh, managing my life in many other areas, but when it came to the food, I couldn't do it any longer. And I was convinced I was powerless. You know, I was, I was licked. I was just, I knew I was powerless over the food. And I thank God I was brought into the big book and in uh, the rather doctor's opinion. And I, I, you know, I learned about the allergy and the mental obsession. So it's like for me, I was educated, you know. If I kept on doing those to- toxic foods in my, my body, my alcoholic foods, which I call sugar for me and, and, um, Carbs. I was always loading myself with those things. I never thought I could ever put them down. And um, so for me, I needed to find a power greater than myself, which I call God today. And as I said, my sponsor said, this is the only way, Vasa. You know, we need to find a power greater than ourselves. 
and followed the directions in the big book and the steps. This is the only way, and it's by the grace of God. This is the only thing that has worked for me for many, many decades of my life with the food and then gradually putting, you know, with my life and my will, surrendering also with my life and my will and trusting that God was going to be there to help me with step four, step five, six as they are laid out uh, to depend on my higher power to get me through the steps and to keep keep on going back and forth and back and forth the way they're laid out and do the service, give it away like has been so given to me so freely over the years. And thank you for letting me share in our past. Perfect. Thank you, Vasa O. Okay, Sarah G. Your turn. Sarah G. My name, my, yes, my name is Sarah, compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. And thank you, Janice, for your service and everybody on the line. I really appreciate this meeting. Um, so for me, I just want to say that this story kind of um, exemplifies to me the arrogance of my disease and of me during that time period. Um, I I came into OA the first time in 1988 through a friend, um, and I I don't think I consciously thought this, but I had decided in uh, somewhere in my brain that I just was going to uh, sit back, listen to what everybody had to say, collect that information, and go out and do it on my own. And that is definitely what I did. After a couple of years, I went out on my own. And what happened was, I'm, I'm bulimic, so I, I was throwing up before I came in the first time. What happened was I, had a, I got a divorce. Um, second thing was that I picked up laxatives. So my disease progressed. And um, I think, and then it took me seven years to come back in. And... Um, the the and and I just when I came back in, I had really uh, been sick. Uh, the disease just beat me to a pulp. Um, the the thing that brought me back was that, um, and I don't say this. I just say it to let people know where I'm coming from. But um, what had happened was I'd had a, the laxative. I'd overdosed on it. I couldn't make it to the toilet in time, and so I soiled myself. And that was just absolutely frightening to me. So I came back in. It still took another uh, year before I was willing to say I surrender. But I have kept coming back for a number of years. Um, and I keep hearing different new things, new things. You know, my, my brain is uh, uh, willing to open up and uh, accept new things. Um, but the other thing that I, I, I hear in this story is, the, um, uh, you know, uh, my, my thinking can't cure me. Uh, and that's what I've been ta- I was taught all my life long, that I could be cured by, you know, self-knowledge. And I realize that that is not the case today. And I'm really grateful for this meeting. I'm grateful for what the big book brings has brought into my life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. 
And thank you, Sarah G. Okay, we're going to open it up again. We're we're on page forty in the first two paragraphs. Who would like to be Barbara E? I'd like to speak to Okay, I hear I hear Barbara E. I hear Matt. I mean, hear Matt M. I hear Kim G. Who else? Mike W. Mike Mike W. W. Okay, got your mic. And who else? There was a woman. Lynn S. Yeah, Lynn S. Let's go with those for now, okay? We'll have Barbara E. Please go ahead. Hello, this is Barbara E. Can you hear me? I hear you now because I was muted. Oh. Okay? Hello, yes, Barbara. Go ahead, Barbara. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I had a little trouble with my phone. It is Barbara E. from New Jersey. I hope everyone had a lovely Mother's Day. I heard about easing God out. I never thought I was going to let God in. I was totally arrogant, as as has been said before, self-reliant. I had a Ph.D. in dieting. I'd lost and gained and lost and gained over 100 pounds so many times. All I wanted was another diet. And I got the support. I got the fellowship by working the tools. I did not think I needed to do the steps. I could not understand what the big book had to do with me and food. I put my reliance. I made my higher power my my, uh, food sponsor. And... All was well until she fell off her pedestal, and that scared the heck out of me. But I got another sponsor and kept doing it, and that was so for 19 of my 20 years, and I was abstinent. It worked, but I had not enlarged my spiritual life. I didn't feel any better. I was still, and still am, sarcastic, mean-spirited, insecure, very much fear-based. That's why I decided there's got to be more, that there was indeed a higher power out there for me. A neighbor had brought me to my first OA meeting. I was very grateful to her. It didn't occur to me that maybe it was my higher power that brought her to the same place I was at at the same time when she had just commenced going to OA. She didn't stay for the miracle. I stayed for the miracle. I stayed after the miracle. And then just this past December, this past December, after 20 years, I began to think I needed more than just the tools. I needed to enlarge my spiritual life. I needed a step sponsor who would guide me through the big book slowly, slowly, and I would do everything she told me to do because I had to give up my will. And it's such a wonderful, freeing experience for me. I am so grateful to be doing this. Thank you so much for being there. I pass. And thank you, Barbara E. Okay, it's your turn, Matt M. Hi, thank you, Janice, for your service. Good morning, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm a compulsive over here in New Jersey. 
you know, I've done this my whole life. I'm very um, competent in other parts of my life. But the, the, the disease of compulsive eating, I've let ruin every aspect of my life. I don't have a career. My health issues are causing me to be on disability. You know, yada, yada. I can increase doing this and it's an item. You know, this gentleman here, he only felt the nip of the ringer. He, um, he's definitely somebody I can admire because he finally did it before he lost a lot of things worthwhile. I lost friends. I lost careers. I lost jobs. I lost my health. I lost a lot of things. You know, I lost my place where I was living. I got evicted a couple of places because of my compulsive overeating. And it's a subtle insanity, you know. I'm definitely insane when it comes to food. I have no defense whatsoever. And I have a huge ego on top of that. I'm an egomaniac with low self-esteem on top of all that. So that's a really nice combination when you add compulsive overeating into that mix, you know. It's a recipe for disaster. I'm, I'm like a tornado running through the lives of everybody's people, of all my friends and family, and then saying, oh, ain't the, ain't the weather grand, you know, when everything else is destroyed around me. And I look outside and it's a bright blue sky, you know. I'm just grateful that I don't have to be so confident in myself like I used to be. Like I, like I knew it all. I was definitely a know-it-all. I thought I could tell you what to do with your life, but with my life, I didn't know what to do with my life. And I'm just grateful I don't have to tell people what to do with their lives. I have to learn how, what to do with my own. That's why I have a higher power. He gives me guidance every day to help me get through the next day and the next day and the next day after that. And just for today, I'm, I'm going to let, let the ego go because I'm tired of easing God out of my life because I, I didn't like the word God in the big book. That's totally stupid of me. And it's something that I'm working on because I want to have that relationship with the higher power. And that's why I'm finally working the steps with a good big book sponsor. I'm grateful that I have one because I'm willing to finish my fourth step today and get on with this process. I'm not going to drag my heels. It took me like three or four days, and that's way too much for me. I need to keep going, plugging at this, because if I don't, I'm going to want it back in the food next month, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to keep myself out of the food uh, and just go let's go through this one day at a time. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Matt M. Okay, Kim G., good morning to you. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking was no excuse for drinking. Confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced. I thought I had every right to be self-confident. That it would only be a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. You know, it amazes me that this book was written 80 years ago, but really they could have been peeking in my window, absolutely peeking in my window. You know, my mother came in to over as anonymous when I was 11, and, um, but, you know, the food beat me into a state of reasonableness once at 27 when I walked in the rooms. But, you know, I'm so much smarter than my mother. So I don't need to do the things I saw my mother do. So I think to myself, what would it mean to me in Overeaters Anonymous that I was exercising my willpower and keeping on guard? You know, I was taught a lot of things that really a moderate or a hard eater could do. But me as a real compulsive overeater, I couldn't. So my forms of willpower and keeping on guard were avoiding people, places, and things, avoiding triggers, watching out for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I was told to play the tape through, remember my last drunk, don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat. Whoever wakes up earliest in the morning has the longest um, thing of abstinence because it's only one day at a time. And today I'm going to choose not to eat. And those are great, great um, concepts if you're not the compulsive overeater of the type that's described in this book. You see, because my experience is those type of sayings gave me temporary respite. It gave me imperfect abstinence, which is a very popular term that we said that that was okay. 
And that if I had more abstinence in a year than I had not abstinence, that was a good year in Overeaters Anonymous. And really what that did is it kept me at a point where I was comfortably miserable, if that makes sense. But I was willing to settle for that in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. But after 17 years and in the middle of a five-year relapse, I heard a different message. I heard the big book message. I heard a message that I had a disease of an allergy of the body obsession of the mind that was going to doom me to eat over and over and over. And unless I had entire abstinence and entire psychic change, that's the way I was going to live. And let me tell you, after six weeks of working these steps specifically and precisely and abstinently, I had an entire psychic change and I don't need to avoid people, places, and things. I don't need to work, watch out for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. I don't need to avoid triggers because I have a connection with a power greater than myself. But I also want to warn everyone, until you have that psychic change, you better put yourself in a recovery ICU and protect your absence at all costs. And I ask myself every day, how free do I want to be? And by applying these steps, I experience freedom on a daily basis. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kim G. Okay, Mike W., it is your turn. Star one to unmute, Mike. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Okay, yeah, I keep forgetting to mute and unmute the phone. Um, my name's Mike. I'm a compulsive eater from White Plains, New York, a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, it's good to hear this message. I, I don't usually get to phone meetings, but I'm going to be in a situation visiting family for a couple of days for a family, my, my parents' anniversary, where I won't be going out as much. So it's good to know that you can get this connection as well. Um, what, what I got out of just the reading and hearing everything else, is, and, and particularly somebody was talking about an alternate definition of selfishness that really kind of gets at the core of what I think this disease is about. It's about me thinking of my gratification and my needs and what I need first before going to anything else. And I, I'm not able to sort of stop that way of thinking on my own. I need something else that's greater than the tendency I would have as an addict to just sort of go into that loneliness, that isolation that comes with the extreme um, narcissistic focus on self. And, and I think that's, a lot of what these, from what I gather, these instructions are for me. I mean, it's it's a tool to, to kind of get out of that. And it was good for me to hear, too, because I've been sponsoring a guy who's, he, he kind of waffles a lot in terms of suggestions and, and things that, you know, have worked for me and have worked for others, and he'll kind of try and wiggle a lot and do different things and not calling what he says he's going to call, procrastinating, doing steps, trying to alter food plans a lot, and um, I've called him on it a few times, but the issue isn't so much the, if I have a problem with that, the problem isn't with him, the problem's with me. You know, that's what I always have to kind of keep in mind with that, that really all we're doing is just sort of sharing what's worked for us, you know, whatever, whatever the instructions have been for us. And for, you know, it's, I have to look at why I would get annoyed at this, you know, why, and, um, that's something I'm, I'm kind of working through and sharing about this morning, you know, that I can't change other people. You can't change family, how my family work, reacts to me. You can't change the world around me. It's just up to me to be spiritually fit, to be the best person I can in the world that's presented to me. So, Star 
I think that you maybe muted yourself or we lost you, Mike. So we're going to go on to Lynn S., please. Lynn? Good morning. This is Lynn S., a recovering compulsive reader in Toronto, Canada. Whenever I read Fred's story, it always uh, it, it's a hard one for me because it, it's the first person that I ever knew was a Fred who actually died of the disease of alcoholism, and we were friends in a in a meeting I went to, um, sharing our struggle. We were both in relapse at the same time, but this time this line really stuck out for me. It says that it would only be a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. And I remember when I first came into OA, I knew I could be thin. I had been thin. I had lost 140 pounds. My first 100-pound weight loss was when I was 16 years old with Weight Watchers. So I had done that for 20 years already, up and down 140 pounds. I knew I could be thin. I've done it. And I knew it would always be with my fifth, clenched, exercising my willpower on whatever new diet or weight loss program or operation or scheme or book or fad or Dr. Phil or Oprah, whatever new thing came out that I latched on to, I could do it. And it was simple. And it was always a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping my guard. So I knew I could do this thing. I knew I could be thin. But I would always be tight and clenched and in control. And I also knew that there would come a moment, no matter how wonderful this thing was, there would come a moment where I couldn't stand it anymore and I would explode and be off to the races, no matter how long this would last. I can remember when I came into program and what I was hearing then. I don't really know what they said, but I know what I heard. What I was hearing then was, don't think about the food anymore. Get yourself right with God, and everything else will fall into place. And I'd say to them, but you don't understand it's different for me. I'm on, you know, doctor-prescribed diet pills, and I I only eat 500 calories a day, and I don't even eat on Thursday. You know, I, don't, I only eat six days of the week, and with that, I'm already 140 pounds. So how are you telling me now, take your focus off of food and put it on God where it belongs, and things will be all right, you know? But what I did find was, and I am so blessed, I think with the degree of desperation that when I came in, in fact, I didn't even want to be thin anymore when I came in. I just wanted to be able to stop eating. And what I found was by identifying my trigger foods and my binge behavior and by working with God, I was able to have a peaceful, serene abstinence. And with that, I'll pass and thank you so much, Linus. Okay, there's about a minute or so, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to take it. First of all, you see these words that we see, my will power. Well, there's three words. So what is the will? The will is the thinking. And, you know, it reminds me of when somebody dies and they've made out a will. That's what they were thinking 
that want that they wanted it to happen when they died for their offspring or whatever. Well, that means they 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 made this will out when they were living, but after they died, they can't change that. Okay, and to me, no matter what power I had in all kinds of uh, actions in in the world, they weren't my success in the beginning. See, that was my own pride. I thought that I did it. See, that's the pride before the fall. And, you know, I had such low self-esteem that I acted like I had high self-esteem, which was, of course, a fallacy. So I don't think today, and I know today, whatever was my success was God's success. It had to be because I can't do this myself because I believed a lie all my life. It was me that did it. It was me. It was me, dear God. No, it wasn't me. It was you. So, you know, this disease that I have is, is, is sly. It's wicked. Uh, it's really wicked. And, you know, I used to believe just being an abstinent did not keep me abstinent. I know that today. And with that, I'm going to pass. And I thank everyone who shared today. And today I'm going to give you the share ID for Monday. May 15th, 2017, for the 7 a.m. meeting is 9941. So please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Well, is it Lisa H., please read. Good morning. Thank you. Yes, please go ahead. Lisa H., uh, Grateful Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourselves to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.